Well, good morning. My name is Chris Ottenstrauer. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to be with God's people. Always a privilege to bring God's word uh, to God's people. I mentioned this in the first service. Thankful for Pastor Bob and Pastor David. It's unique when you have two pastors who are equally sharing the workload, submitting to each other, trusting each other. Uh, I think there's a, a testimony to who they are and God's faithfulness in this church and community. So thankful uh, for your pastors uh, that are here. Uh, my text for today is the 15th verse of the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a third sermon here in the Spiritual Warfare and Tactics series. It's also the third piece of armor that we are to put on. Uh, if you have phones and you're going to get to the Bible, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV version of the Bible, and I will ask you if you are able to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be beginning in, and the, the verses will be, most of them will be on the, the screen, beginning in verse 10. This is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and our verse for today, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I'm going to offer you an additional translation coming from the authorized version or King James Version as it's also known. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it's in these moments that we come to you realizing uh, that, that we are empty-handed apart from you and without you. And so we would ask that you would uh, enlighten and open the eyes of our heart this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see that which you have for us, allow us to lay aside all presuppositions and hear from your word in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. Well, one of the things, friends, I found helpful when approaching one text all by itself, just taking one text, is to be able to ask that text or that scripture some questions. When you're on your own, you can write those questions down and work through them, answer them, think through the answers. But today we're going to carry some of these questions in our mind as we go through the message. And so here are some of the questions that came as I sat with this verse. Why? Why are we being told to shod our feet? Why are we being told to put on the readiness or the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace? Why is this armor necessary? What are we trying to protect against exactly? Is there something at stake? And why our feet? I mean, our, our brains, our head with the helmet, our, our hearts with the breastplate, that makes sense. But why our feet? And once our feet are shod or once we've put on this equipment, are we done? Are we good? What does Paul mean by the gospel of peace? And how does the gospel of peace prepare us or ready us or give us the equipment that we need for this fight? 
So these are the questions that I want you to carry in your mind as I begin to walk through some earlier parts of this very same letter. Chapter 6, in the, er, in the original manuscripts, were in chapters. It would have been one thought he would have been working through, wanting to impart information to the saints who were in Ephesus, those who were faithful in Christ Jesus. There were some things that he wanted them to know and some things that we need to know today before we arrive at our verse. And so as I walk through the earlier parts of this letter, I want you to remember this one thing, that everything that I'm going to say is 100% true about the Christian. 100% true. You might not feel it, and you might not believe it, and you might not know much about these things, but they are 100% true. Very beginning of the letter, verse 3, that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not some blessings, but every spiritual blessing belongs to you in Christ, that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That means that you were in the mind of God even before He created the world, Christian. In love, He, God, predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Himself, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. That means that you were not His son. You were not His daughter. You were not in the family of God, but God determined that you would be. Verse 7, in Him, in Christ, we, excuse me, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. That means that you've been forgiven past, you've been forgiven present, and you've been forgiven future. And you've done nothing for this. This is all according to God's will. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. That means it's your inheritance. Everything that belongs to you in Christ is directly tied to the glory of God. God's glory is tied to your inheritance. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it fully, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That means that your salvation, your union with Christ, is so secure that nothing can ever separate you from Christ's love, that nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand because God has linked His glory to it. The glory of God is connected to and an assurance of your salvation. You may live with the uncertainties of who you are in Christ. You may live with constant doubt whether you're a Christian. But in Christ, God has connected His glory to your salvation. It is a sure thing. He will bring it to fulfillment, your glorification in the end. And then Paul begins to pray. Walk with me as I walk through this. Paul begins to pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to these things, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance 
in the saints, and that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his might. And all of these things that he wants you to know, all of these things that are true about you, Christian, all of these things were done by God. All of this was a work of God. And he wants this knowledge to go beyond mere intellectual assent. He doesn't want you just to to know some things in your mind. He wants the roots of your knowledge to grow down deep into your Christian faith. That your faith would be robust and and deep and wide. And and what are the heights and the length and the depth of his love? That's what he's looking for here. Deep roots keep the tree standing in the storm. It's what Paul is working towards here. Every spiritual blessing, the adoption, your redemption, your forgiveness, your inheritance, the sealing of you in Christ, all of it, the Holy Spirit, all of it from God. And where were you, friend? Where were you when God was working all of these things? The very beginning of chapter 2, he says that you were dead. You were dead spiritually. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, working in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind and our body. And you were at that time by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But that's who you were. That's where you were. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him no longer dead but raised to new life with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ for by grace you have been saved and this faith is not your doing It is a gift. The very fact that you've believed is because you have been given the gift of faith, the enabling to believe. It's a gift of God, not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Friends, this is the gospel of peace. This is the gospel. Paul is laboring in this letter before he ever gets to putting on the armor. Before we even begin to understand the armor, do you know and understand who you were before you were made alive together with Christ? Do you see what God has done? Do you know anything about the inheritance or the adoption or the sealing? Anything about the fact that you were once far off but have been brought near because of the blood? This is The gospel, friends, the gospel of peace, the gospel of God. It goes beyond the prayer that you prayed 10 years ago. It's knowing these things that sets the stage for our verse today. He tells you everything you need to know about the gospel, who you were, who you now are, what God has done to save you, and not just to save you, but to lavish you with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on in the letter to tell us how to live the Christian life, 
how to live the Christian life in the church, and even how to live the Christian life in the home. Can you imagine if Paul ended his letter at the end of those instructions in chapter 6? You'd think, well, great, I I have the instructions, I I have the inheritance, I have the blessings, I have the adoption, I, I have everything that I need. Wives, you go do this, and husbands, you go do that. Children, honor your mother and father. Church, live in unity, because that's what I told you to do, and we will live happily ever after. But that's not your experience, is it? That's not your life in this world. That's not life in this present darkness with the prince of the power of the air prowling around looking for someone to devour. And it wasn't Paul's experience either. See, Paul knew that the riches and the inheritance and the spiritual realities and the gospel would be attested. He knew it would be assaulted. He knew that you would be attacked continually. Every angle, tactics ever changing, the regularity of the attack, the intensity of the attack would change. And oftentimes, most times, you will have no idea what is going on. It's exactly where Satan wants you. It will seem like it's your spouse's fault. It will seem like if she would only do these things, if he would only do these things, if my children would stop being so rebellious, if whatever it is, these are the kinds of things, it will seem like it's my parents' fault, if they would have done this, that, or the other. This was Satan's lie to me for most of my life, Chris. It really doesn't matter, Chris, what you do doesn't matter how hard you try or how much effort you put in or how successful you are or how much money you make or what you achieve. It doesn't really matter, Chris, because it's never going to be good enough. And I didn't attribute that lie to Satan. I blamed my parents for that lie. And I lived with a relationship that was marred and affected because of it. Friends, Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a thief. He lies to each of us in unique ways. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your hurts. He knows your weaknesses. He knows where you're vulnerable. And so how has he lied to you? What lie have you been holding to. I've been praying for you this week, leading up to this week, that in these moments and when you've heard the word of God revealed, when you've heard the truth about who you are in Christ, you would see very clearly the lie or lies or what you've been holding to, what you've given yourself over to. Maybe he's told you that a particular relationship will never get any better. Maybe he's told you that you've married the wrong spouse. Life would be better with someone else. And though you haven't acted on that, you have completely checked out of your marriage. You've gone your own way to do your own thing. Or maybe Satan has robbed your marriage of physical intimacy. Or he's trying to. 
How often as a, a pastor and confidant of men in men's ministry have I seen that scheme of the enemy? I don't know what it is for you, friends, but this is spiritual warfare and tactics. That's why Paul reminds us at the very beginning, before you've put any armor on, that you don't fight against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against your spouse or your parents or your boss or whoever it is that you've been blaming. We are fighting actually and always against the devil, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. This message is not just for married people, but young people. What lie has he told you? That you don't feel like yourself within your own skin and you want to be somebody else. What lie is the Satan is Satan planting? What seeds of doubt is he planting? You are fighting not against your parents, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. You may say, well, well you know, what do our feet have to do with anything? Again, I understand the head, the brain is vital. You can't live without a brain, but you can live without a foot. It's our feet with which we walk along the roads of life. It's our feet that first come in contact with slippery terrain. It's our feet that hold up our legs so that when the winds of life come, we can brace ourselves. But finally, it's our feet that enable us to stand. Paul wants us to know it's your feet with which you stand. You don't stand on your head. You don't stand on your chest. You stand on your feet four times. Paul reminds us of that in these early verses. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To withstand in the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. If you're going to stand, Paul says, make sure that you can stand. And so we're told to shod our feet. And to put on the readiness. Best way to understand that is to look at the analogy itself. There's no doubt that the apostle in jail, in prison, chained, side by side, soldier on the left, soldier on the right, he sees the armor that they're wearing. He would have been chained to them every day, day in and day out, recognizing all of what was required to be a good soldier and to be ready for battle. And specifically, on the feet of the soldier... He would have worn a a certain kind of sandal. The sandal would have consisted of a sole. We're going to put a picture of the sandal up. A sole that would have had straps that would have fastened the sole to to the lower foot and lower leg. The most important thing about this sandal is what was on the bottom of the sole. The sole would have been covered with these these nubs or metal stubs that stuck out of the bottom of the sandal. It provided the soldier with traction firmness of footing. It prevented the soldier from slipping and sliding or falling when the the duties of battle called. 
But there was another important reason for putting on or having his feet shod, the preparation of battle. See, because the enemy doesn't just attack. What he does is he goes out before you. And the example here is he would, the enemy would go out into the field and place these sharp metal spikes or these wooden sticks that stick up out of the ground. And then they would, he would, they would camouflage these things. So when the soldier came walking along, if he wasn't properly shotted, if he wasn't wearing the right equipment, he would have stepped on one of these spikes. You and I get a, a corn or a callus and we've got to go to the doctor and get a massage or something. But could you imagine a, a metal spike being driven through the bottom of your foot if you weren't wearing the right equipment? You would have been completely taken out of the fight. Maybe infection. Maybe you would have lost a foot. But whatever it was, no longer were you in the fight. No longer were you able to stand in the battle. And so Paul is drawing our minds to this analogy as a good Christian soldier. We are to put on the firmness, the, the traction. And I think that the key here, and I'm going to kind of read this verse to you spiritually. I think spiritually what this verse is saying is that the gospel gives us. The gospel of peace is that which prepares and enables us to stand and to withstand. It's the gospel that gives us this. We're to put this on. We're to know something about the gospel, something about the riches, something about the inheritance. That's why Paul labored, and I labored here this morning through those early sections so that you would know the hope to which you've been called, that you would know more and beyond simply I believed or I accepted. And that's a, a great first step, but we've got to move beyond that, Christians, We've got to be, to be a good Christian soldier. We've got, to, we've got to know what we believe. We've talked about the gospel when we've detailed that earlier. And we've talked about the importance of the ability to stand. But I think that the key to the verse, the key to this verse is in the word for preparation or readiness. The word is translated and can be translated in making ready to get or to be prepared. Another translation would be the word I've used, equipment. Having your feet shod, fitted with the equipment of the gospel. This word equipment brings with it the idea of firmness, stability, steadfastness. Put on the firmness. Shod your feet with the steadfastness of the gospel. This word carries all of these meanings. But let me give a, a quick caution about what this readiness does not mean. Some of us have taken the idea that the word preparation or readiness, we've seen the word feet, we've seen the word gospel, and we think it means it's a readiness to go, to go and bring the good news of salvation to others. And it may, that may be a part of your life and ministry, but that's not primarily what Paul is after. It would be easy to grab a concordance, look at the word feet, combine it with the word gospel, as Paul does in Romans 10:15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And we, we deduce from that, well, it must be, we must be ready to go and preach. But this section has nothing to do with evangelism. It has everything to do with the Christian being attacked. That's why he tells you four times to stand, to withstand. Paul sees a Christian soldier under siege and he wants you to guard against slipping and falling and getting taken out. 
Make sure that you are ready, you've readied yourselves with this piece of armor. And it's a message throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, be watchful. Same kind of idea. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Peter tells us in the fifth chapter of his first letter to be alert, to be watchful, to be sober-minded. Resist him. Be firm in your faith. In the previous chapter here, walk circumspectly. Look carefully then how you walk. Watch, be careful how you place your feet, where you are placing your feet in this life. As you look at the church today, we see large numbers of those who are not shodding their feet with the true gospel. They are not putting on the readiness and the steadfastness given by the gospel of peace. They are slipping and sliding all over the place. No longer resolute. No longer do they know what they believe. There's no firmness or steadfastness. Instead, you see the opposite. You see compromise. You see tolerance. You see allowance. You see people making room in the word where God has made no room. And it's because they have not put on the equipment of the gospel and are standing firm in it. They are shifting and moving. They're being tossed to and fro with every wind of new teaching. And the devil is rejoicing. But this is not just with the church, friends. This is also for individuals. Let me ask you, do you know what you believe? Is there anything for which you are prepared to stand? Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Divinely inspired, infallible, and is the supreme and final authority in life and in faith. Do you believe that? Are you ready to stand on that truth, come what may? Are you ready to stand on that when you're the only one in your life group that may be standing on that? Are you willing to stand on that when everyone around you, maybe even in your family, doesn't believe that? Are you willing to stand on that truth? That's what it means to put on the gospel. That's what it means to have your feet shod with the steadfastness that the gospel provides. The devil wants us to compromise, to be wishy-washy, unsure. Is the Bible, is it really real? Is it really sufficient? Is it really relevant? I mean, things are so different now in our culture. Can we really rely on the Bible? That's what it sounds like. That's what wishy-washiness and doubts sound like. That's not standing. That's slipping and sliding. Did God really say that? God didn't really say that you would die, Genesis 3. And the next thing you know, you're on your back against the wall, in the corner, not sure what you believe anymore. This is the opposite of shotting our feet. But our standing, our challenges to stand don't just deal with these doctrines. That was the doctrine of Scripture. It doesn't just stand with the doctrines, but they also apply to our day-to-day life, our, our Christian walk. We come into the Christian life, and things seem a whole lot harder than we expected. Why is everything so difficult? I thought things were going to be easier. Now that I'm a Christian, that's what I was told. It's because you weren't given the gospel. 
We forget, maybe no one's told us about this battle that we are in, that it will be attested. So things get hard at work. Layoffs begin to happen and markets crash and take a turn and retirement is not going like we expected and pandemics and the loss of friends because we disagree politically. Divides within our church, pastors being taken out, health issues, the death of a loved one, everyone here impacted in some way by one or all of these trials, these afflictions, most of them from the hand of the prince of the power of the air. Are you still standing, friends? Or are you slipping and sliding? Where is God in all of this? Why would God let this happen? I don't feel God's love. Maybe he's too busy off with someone else. Maybe I don't have enough faith after all. I wonder if I would go to heaven today if I die. I wonder if the, the Lord said to me, Lord, Lord, you did these things in my name, but, but I never knew you away from me. Am I going to hear that? We begin to live with these worries slipping and sliding. Maybe I need to work harder and get back into his good graces. Maybe I'm not a Christian after all. No solid footing on which to stand. But maybe you are standing, like the psalmist who says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I've experienced these trials. It's proof. It's proof of who I am in this life It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your ways, O God. Before I was afflicted, tried, assaulted, attacked. Before that, I used to go astray. But now, because of the attack, because of the affliction, I've been reminded about who I am in you and who you are and what you've done, that I no longer live in the kingdom of darkness, that I live in the kingdom of His Son, that I've been raised to life, given the Spirit, This is who you are, Christian. This is what you're putting on. This is how you are to shod your feet in the preparation of the fight. Are you like Paul? Do you see that your troubles and afflictions are light and momentary and but for a moment because you know that they're doing something in you? You know that they're working and preparing for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do you know anything about those riches? Are you standing? Do you want to stand? Are you ready to stand? Have you truly come into the Christian life or do you still have one foot in the world and one foot in the church? You you come here on Sunday and you live any way you want the rest of the week. That's not standing. That's not shodding your feet. That's not putting on the gospel and withstanding in this evil day, fighting for your family, fighting for your children, standing fast with the gospel. When you put on the gospel of peace, when you shod your feet with this equipment, when you know, when you know and the knowledge has grown deep down into your life, you begin to realize that your life is not your own. Young people, your life is not your own. It's not to get the best degrees and go off and go to the best schools and all that might be fine. Maybe that's where God's leading, but that's not who you are in Christ. You may walk that road But this is who you are in Christ. The truest thing about your spiritual life is actually seated with Christ in the heavenly places because you've been raised 
from spiritual death. These are the things to put on as the worship team begins to make their way back up. You have been given, friends here this morning, everything that you need by the gospel. Everything that you need in order to stand, you've been given. You've been ransomed out of that old kingdom. You've been redeemed from the old life. The old man has been put to death and died. And you who live as a new creation, born again from above, born again from God. Your slavery to sin, that chain has been broken. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness and to God, Paul tells us in Romans 6. There was a time that you were dead, but you're no longer dead. You've been raised together with Christ. You're no longer living in the passions of your flesh. You're no longer carrying out the desires of the mind and body. And you're no longer children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because of God, because of Christ, because Christ is rich in mercy, and because he loved us while we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's what you are to put on and take to yourself and preach to yourself and remind yourself daily. This is not a message where that doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wife shods her feet or wives make sure your husband shods his feet and that he can stand while you are slipping and sliding all over shod your own feet don't let your husband know the truth of the gospel alone don't let your wife lead the family all by herself friends that is a work of satan grow in your understanding of these doctrines Grow in your teachings of what the Bible actually teaches. Know who you are. Know where you live. Know something about what Christ has done. Know what you've been saved from. These are the things that we are to put on. These are the things that we are to, to wear. It's the wearing. It's the knowing. It's why Paul labored to tell you all of those things, to give you a full exposition in full view of what the gospel of God, the gospel of peace looks like. Do you remember the man who found that treasure buried in the field? Remember what he did? He went and sold everything. He went and sold everything he had, but that wasn't the point to the story. It wasn't that he sold everything. It was that he found a treasure. He found a treasure that had more value than anything in his life. And so he easily parted with all that he had because he found something. Christ is that treasure. Do you know Christ as your treasure? Is that treasure, is your love for Christ so far beyond anything else in this world that your love for Christ makes all other love look like hate. That's what Jesus said. All other loves should look like hate. Mother, father, sister, brother. Christ's love, love for Christ. Christ is our ultimate treasure. Only a person that knows and understands and grows daily, regularly to see that treasure, to see Christ, to see the gospel for who he is and what it is, and puts that on and wears that. It's what gives us our traction. It's what gives us our steadfastness. It's what allows us to stand when the world and the flesh and the devil attack. And now in the words of our Lord, spoken through the Apostle Paul, finally, brethren, 
now, henceforward, from this time forward, with all that I've just told you in the earlier parts of this letter, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, To stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and for shoes. And as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel. Amen.